Welcome to the Montefiore Einstein Health Technology Innovation Podcast Series. Today we'll be playing a previous recording from an innovation biodesign seminar. So I'd love to introduce Travis Moman, again, a mentor from eLab NYC. Uh, we appreciate your support of this program from, from day one and thanks for uh, making the time. Really appreciate it. So, uh, it's my, my real pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me and great to see, uh, you know, some folks I, I uh, enjoyed um, spending time with in that program. Sadly, eLab is maybe on hiatus this year, uh, struggling with some COVID, you know, related timing and issues. The ABCT program and Westchester County Bio Accelerator, both of those programs are launching and uh, uh, happening this year. Wonderful, wonderful. Again, thanks so much for making the time and and uh, Travis. So uh, Travis Momins is a serial entrepreneur and an innovative business leader who's worked extensively in digital health, behavioral health, educational technology, and uh, digital media. Over the last several years, he's helped more than a dozen early stage health tech companies to plan and execute their go-to-market efforts. He served as a business development advisor for Samsung Next Digital Health Venture Portfolio. As a strategic advisor to Philips Healthcare, Travis helped architect and launch its digital cognitive diagnostics venture, an inaugural product and service in telespace cognition. He's a startup coach for early, health, early stage health tech and life sciences companies in the uh, eLab NYC and uh, APCC programs. We has coached nine early stage startup teams over two core cycles. Previously, Travis led new business and innovation for Pearson's renowned clinical assessment division, where he was responsible for several growth businesses, as well as a wide range of innovation product projects and M&A activity. Prior to this, Travis was the founding VP of business development at Audible.com, now an Amazon company, and later co-founded or played executive roles at several educational technology companies including Redia. Travis, a health and well-being enthusiast and a voracious reader, frequent traveler, and committed environmentalist. He lives in Stanford, Connecticut, and is a proud father of an 11-year-old son. Thank you so much, Travis. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. So shall I uh, share my screen and uh, dive right in then? Please, please. Great. Let's see if I can uh, figure out how to do that. Well, um, I'd like to say that's me at the uh, whiteboard, but it's not. Uh, but lots of ideas to share. Um, I was very impressed with the elevator pitches, um, and I like the way several of the uh, key things that we'll be talking about today were manifest. So good on on you guys for that. Um, Let's see here. I was going to say a few things about my experience. I wanted to share um, uh, a, a little. Uh, anecdotal talk I've, I've done about Apple and Google and the way they manifest different innovation mindsets and, um, and methods. And then I, I have a bunch of um, kind of little mini case studies from, from companies I've worked with and um, projects I've been involved with that I thought might be relevant to the group. So I'm going to get want to give full respect to uh, the other speakers and, and leave lots of room for Q&A. So I'm going to go fast. Um, feel feel free to stop me or, or answer any question, uh, pose any questions in the chat if you like. So um, before I get started, though, I just want to thank everyone on this call. I know virtually all of you are involved in uh, frontline healthcare or supporting frontline healthcare, and I just had my first 
uh, business meeting in a hospital setting since COVID started. And when I think about all of you guys in the trenches every day, it just brings uh, such gratitude to my heart. So thank you so much for, <clears throat> for what you do. Um, <clears throat> Sunit uh, was, gave me a kind introduction, um, covered a few of the, the, the uh, companies and in institutions that I'm involved with. Um, I've had a long career as a serial entrepreneur, um, spanning multiple industries from kind of consumer electronics and digital media uh, through to ed tech, uh, education technologies that is, and then most recently in healthcare and health tech. Um, I, I thrive on breadth and, and seeing connections across industries, and I try to bring that to the work I do coaching early stage startups uh, these days in health tech and, and uh, med device and life sciences. So I mentioned uh, Apple versus Google. Um, many of you guys, I'm sure, have probably read stuff about these companies and how they innovate. Um, I'll mention that one of the highlights of my entrepreneurial career was um, getting to pitch Steve Jobs. And, um, you know, he's, he was famous in his lifetime for being a very uh, demanding and difficult leader, but uh, obviously an inspired genius as well. And one of the things that uh, Steve um, was, uh, was most known for was his belief that oftentimes uh, the potential customer of a product or service really didn't know what they wanted as well as he did or as well as uh, Apple did. And this kind of inspired um, using your own knowledge of, of, of something um, is a style of innovation that can be very powerful. Um, of course, I wouldn't recommend doing it in a vacuum, getting customer feedback, working with data, pretty critically important too. And that brings up Google. You know, Google is famous for almost slavishly following the data. And I would say until fairly recently, you know, some of their products were quite uninspired and, and lacked the kind of pizzazz and the, the touch that uh, Steve Jobs brought to his um, uh, endeavors. Um, interestingly, over the last, I don't know, five years or so, I've seen Apple and, and Google kind of converging in ways. Google is more Apple-like and Apple is more Google-like in some ways. But I, I give this example as a, as a diving board into um, more specific topics only to say that both of these innovation modalities, I think, really have um, uh, you know, something to recommend. And I would encourage all of you guys to use your own experience and your own sense of taste, just like Steve Jobs, to innovate from a place of inspiration and a belief in your own knowledge and ability to channel customers. But uh, as Google would teach us, you know, don't stop there, follow the data, be relentless about um, winnowing out stuff that doesn't work and iterating uh, to get to um, a, a successful point. And, and uh, I think these days in particular, one would be um, foolish not to use all the data-driven tools available uh, to us. So with that said, I'm going to dive right into these rapid-fire little case studies. I know that Unmet needs is one of the uh, topics for, for learning um, uh, in this group and, and this call. Uh, so I wanted to share an experience I had at Phillips. We uh, did a market study um, where we uh, worked very hard to understand how neurologists 
uh, felt about cognitive assessment. We were in, developing a product in that space. And the market study uh, uncovered some really interesting data that we kind of summarized into some key uh, insights, you know, that neurologists wanted a rapid overview of cognitive deficits. They, they don't have time to mess around like a neuropsychologist might with multi hours of test. They'd like to see uh, progress or, or changes uh, over time. And of course, uh, uh, many independently practicing neurologists in particular care about uh, reimbursement and the economics of care. So um, when you look at the, the bullet points on the right of the screen, the market study, you know, they, these were some really interesting you know, gaps and, and insights. I'll point to the middle one where we knew that only 13% of patients got a full uh, kind of neuropsych assessment, while third, uh, neurologists told us that they felt that 36% of their patients really needed one. So this was the, the kind of uh, the gap that became the birth of uh, this product that we ultimately called IntelliSpace Cognition. One of the uh, fellows mentioned work uh, being done in, in cardiology. Uh, Philips has a, 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 an IntelliSpace is the kind of blanket or, or brand name uh, that they use for um, kind of data-driven uh, 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 products across many modalities, and there's an inter IntelliSpace cardiology. We, we created IntelliSpace cognition, and you can see that there was a direct connection between the, um, the, the insights that we uncovered in our unmet need research, which was both qualitative and quantitative. We used surveys, and we did in-depth focus groups moderated by professionals, um, and we kind of mapped the insights right into the key value proposition points that we felt based on our research would work. And I'm happy to say, uh, while I'm no longer uh, involved with Philips on this project, uh, the product is in market and, uh, and doing very well. Bit of a, a hiccup with COVID and the fact that it was all designed for a face-to-face -face modality, but they're working now on uh, enabling a telehealth implementation as well. So in hopes that you guys are, are following along and enjoying uh, what, what I'm presenting so far, um, I'll continue on to the next uh, case study, um, which is in the area of competitive landscape and a benefits analysis. This is for a, a, an early stage company I'm involved with called Nuvotion, working in the rehabilitation and physical therapy space. And as you can see here, this was our attempt uh, really with investors in mind to identify the key competitors, their products, the pricing, uh, reimbursement considerations, and then of course benefits. And um, you know we try to give credit where credit is due, but in this particular case of a, a very targeted focal neuromuscular electrical stimulation uh, product that can be used both in clinic and in home, we felt that there really wasn't uh, much out there that was really competitive in most uh, areas that were endeavoring to add value. So this gives you a, a sense of what a uh, high-level summary competitive landscape document might look like. Other people prefer to use the kind of class, classic axes to show how uh, different competitive products are more like this or more like that and position um, you know, our product in, uh, in, in context. 
Um, this one, I wasn't sure if it would really work, but um, I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you something I like to do, which is um, to really um, uh, very clearly identify key drivers in a model, in a financial model, and then to uh, uh, you know source those, those assumptions. Uh, how do we know uh, what we know or how are we guessing? And then to highlight these drivers. And this little snapshot I, I, I pulled for you um, actually is directly connected to the PL. So if you make any changes to the yellow shaded cells, you know, let's say for sake of argument um, that instead of uh, uh, 2,200 sessions per year, which is data we got from a particular partner in this venture, um, that we thought it was only 1,800, you make that change and it flows through the entire uh, business model right to the PL. And I think that capability of having drivers and, and the high level PL uh, next to each other can be a very useful interactive tool for sensitivity analysis and other stuff. And I found investors like it a lot. So for any of you guys, creating PLs and you know trying to come up with uh, uh, key drivers uh, think about doing it this way uh, one last slide from Nuvotion. you know the, the the previous slide was basically a top-down approach uh, whereas this slide um, you know shows market share data of the market we're going after there are about 18,000 uh, physical therapy clinics in the United States. And uh, it used to be almost entirely mom and pops. And now uh, with some private equity backing, some very large chains are, are taking market share uh, very rapidly. So you could see here that just five of these companies you know, have almost a quarter of the market, which is um, uh, a double-edged sword, but generally a good thing for a startup who's trying to bring new technology uh, into a market. Uh, I wanted to show something on the segmentation front that uh, I did with uh, colleagues at SiteRx. This is a startup, uh, also went through the eLab program that um, is working in the space of clinical trial patient recruitment, currently focusing on CNS. And uh, we looked at the number of CNS trials, the number of neurology practices, the number of neurologists, all by state level. And we came up with a primary, secondary, and tertiary launch strategy based on these findings. And I share with this with you, of course, everyone's target market will be different, but really getting uh, your hands dirty, really getting granular in formulating your plans based on data, um, I think is a really uh, essential part of, of a market segmentation activity. Don't tell Steve Jobs I said that because he probably wouldn't have gain to do this work, but um, I think it's very helpful. And in healthcare, it's it's almost certainly essential. Uh, I wanted to show you a, a cute little um, customer profile uh, persona that we did. I don't know that um, this particular chief information security officer deserves to be called cute, but um, uh, in one page here, you can see that we uh, uh, kind of described, you know, this, this kind of archetypal gentleman, his goals, the pain points, uh, the, the key channels of communication that he uses, even his emotional state and the way he perceives himself. All of this uh, uh, type of work can be really helpful in informing you know, marketing 
that um, uh, you know will really speak to the customer and really convert. This was done with a company I worked with while I was working with Samsung called Silera. They're a, a leading startup in the um, hospital or healthcare information security space. And I'm just close to the end of my uh, uh, presentation here because I want to make sure not to encroach uh, the other speakers. So um, I will end up with a couple of slides from AvoMD, another eLab graduate. These guys have gone on to some great things. They're involved with Startup Hell, 500 startups. Um, they've struggled a little bit to kind of really crystallize their value proposition. And this is some of uh, the work that they've done recently to try to really pithily convey next-gen clinical guidelines and pathways. And this is a way that they're representing their two products, the AVO Builder, uh, which allows you to create these uh, pathways and guidelines, and then the point of care app that uh, makes uh, such guidelines really um, accessible and time effective for providers on the front lines. Anyone interested in their stuff, I highly recommend checking out their site. Um, I think it's avomd.io. Uh, I want to stress the critical importance, no, no surprise to you folks, I think, of, of following the money. Uh, here's another Nervotion piece where we look carefully at CPT codes and average reimbursement amounts for different activities, both in clinic and at home. Again, uh, every uh, endeavor is different, but um, uh, shows the importance of knowing what those revenue streams and those reimbursement streams are when you get into um, a particular business. So on my last slide here in closing, I just wanna uh, stress some things I'm sure you would all agree with. We need to identify and quantify unmet needs and, and we must do so by market segment. We have to understand the competitive landscape. We have to be very clear about our relative benefits and how to talk about them. Uh, we have to understand the market size. I think top-down and bottom-up are both useful. Um, don't just do top-down, must do bottom-up, but, but top-down is useful as well. And uh, I encourage you guys to think in terms of persona. It's really helpful to do the work to really uh, manifest the person you're trying to sell to. Um, value prop, essential, and there's lots of, to talk about on that front. And, uh, and again, as we just said, follow the money. And if it's not about cost savings uh, these days, it's going to be hard to get much attention. And um, anyway, thank you so much for um, coming out and hearing uh, all the talk, the speakers' talks. This uh, ends my presentation. I look forward to Q&A. And meanwhile, I think I'm going to be handing off now to... Is it Ferris or Alahuddin? Alahuddin. So uh, Travis, thank you so much. That was incredible, very inspirational, and really appreciate uh, all your efforts, the time, and uh, your mentorship. So it really means a lot to me. Always a pleasure. And uh, now I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Alahuddin Buyan. Uh, Dr. Buyan is an inventor, innovator, and computer scientist, and the founder of iHealth Screen. He's been working in the retinal imaging and image-based disease screening area for more than 15 years. He's been a faculty member in the Department of Computer Science at NYU and was a visiting scholar at Harvard Medical School. He has been an associate professor at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary and uh, Mount Sinai. He led the uh, development of iPredict, a HIPAA-compliant AI-powered software tool, which screens and predicts individuals at risk for diabetic retinopathy, age-related macular degeneration, glaucoma, heart disease, and stroke. Dr. Bouillon has received $5 million in federal and state grants 
and secured more than $2.3 million through NIH SBIR grants as a PI. He received his PhD from the University of Melbourne, Australia, and he's the holder of multiple patents and has published more than 100 research articles. So again, thank you so much, Love, and really appreciate it. Thank you, Sunit. Um, thank you for the invitation and uh, for the opportunity. And thank you, everyone, uh, for um, you know, like giving me the opportunity to talk in front of you. Once again, you know, like the masterpiece should be at the end, you know. <laughs> so when Travis, my mentor, was you know like presenting, I thought, oh my God, the best is the first. <laughs> Everyone will be losing their attraction, right? Anyway, so <clears throat> once again, thank you. So I'm going to um, present my company. Can everyone hear me well? Uh, Sunit, it's good, right? Yes, it's great. Yes, thank so you. I'm going to share my screen, right? I can, yes, uh, excellent. And I'm going to present my company a little bit, Sunit, if it is okay. And I'm going to talk about the uh, experience we you know, like received from NIH iCore program. Um, so uh, I'm the founder and CEO of iHealthScreen, um, where like we are really offering two different like you know AI-based tool. One is um, retinal disease screening, early diagnosis, um, uh, diabetic retinopathy, macular degeneration, and um, glaucoma, and other one is heart disease and stroke. And uh, we are currently doing the prospective trial with NIH, you know, like uh, grants. So we recently received 1.5 million for early diagnosis of uh, macular uh, degeneration uh, and the prediction of macular degeneration. So this trial is for three years. Um, and uh, so what we uh, like, you know, uh, found here is we defined a very clear problem like, um, these uh, diseases, like especially these um, uh, macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, you know, like these diseases, all of you are doctor, I, I know like you are all aware of this. When the patient are in front of the ophthalmologist, it's already late. So we want to take this device into the primary care clinics. We want to take the, you know, like a retinal camera uh, and set this up in the like primary care clinics and we would like to take their image and our AI software will be like giving the automatic like report. And if necessary, that patient will be, you know, like um, sent to the like ophthalmologist. So this is the like an ultimate motto. And we have a reimbursement code also here. And within a very short period of time, like within five minutes, this entire test will be like taking. Um, and so uh, we will be like, you know, determined and identifying these individuals who are really at risk and prevent those diseases. We also um, determine the market size. Uh, as Travis mentioned, like top down, bottom up, we went through the bottom up. Like we really found that who are the really uh, uh, potential user. As we know, every diabetic patients are at risk of diabetic retinopathy. Um, individuals above 50 are at risk of, you know, like uh, macular degeneration. So we just consider these two diseases here because uh, we want to um, get the FDA 510K clearance. You know, uh, we already met with FDA uh, in two separate meetings. So here we are really presenting these two diseases. The market size here is 9.4 billion. Potentially, we are screening every individual here. So this is the entire market size. Now the point is how much we can really acquire uh, is up to us. 
And per, our, per clinic, if we can screen 10 patients, you know, like per day, um, uh, 50 weeks uh, and all five days, we can um, uh, generate revenue for $125,000. Like that's how we are really break down, you know, like uh, for the software as a service model. So we will be having our own sales force. Um, um, we, we, we plan to like, you know, having the own sales force, let's say by the end of second quarter. Uh, and then the third quarter we are like, you know, expecting we'll be receiving the FDA clearance. Yes, we analyze the, you know, like competitors. Um, and uh, so here is this uh, financial projections, like um, where we um, need to really find out uh, all the expenses, you know, like operating expense, um, market capture, um, and uh, like based on the potential customers and uh, finding out like um, the exact number of customers um, uh, and getting that um, ultimate, you know, like net income. So uh, we are projecting that from third year, like where in the first two years, we'll be really spending money for the marketing and commercializations, you know, like um, that phase. And from the third year, we'll be in the money. Uh, and uh, we are having a great team. Um, uh, in terms of that, you know, like um, experience, you know, like marketing and uh, like uh, as a financial officer and um, and of course, like we have uh, another like, you know, um, a business advisor, like who is, uh, whose company is now, you know, like in the public literary company. Um, so if I go back to the customer segment determination slides, like, um, these are like three-year-old slides. These are the exact slides like which we presented in the NIH ICO program. So that program really given us the opportunity to um, look into our like potential customers, or you can say that we thought like, you know, we have uh, five different groups of like providers, like who will be the customer at the end, we ended up with two, you know, like, so if you are aware of this ICO program, this national phase, like it is really a great program because um, I can tell you one thing in the day one, like they almost made us cry, you know, like that, that tough they were, you know, like, but and at the end it was really in like going well. It really went well, you know, like, um, and I'm really grateful to this program because I really learned a lot. So we, we really had a nice, you know, like um, business thesis, like we could, um, get the minimum value proposition, get a very great idea, clear idea. And uh, we determine like who will be our real customers are. And this, this program really um, uh, focused on our stroke prediction in like tool. So who will be our um, like um, customers for or who will be using this in you know, like AI-based stroke screenings tool. So if I show you that uh, business, you know, like uh, uh, model canvas, so you can see uh, in terms of the value proposition, it was blank. And um, we had some ideas like um, who will be our customers, you know, family physicians, optometrists, ophthalmologists, you know, like cardiovascular specialists, neurologists, all of them will be, you know, like um, interested to our tool, and um, 
And then uh, if we go back to the partners, you can see that um, like whomever we were working, they were our partners, you know. So you would see like how it, um, it was changed um, when we were going through all these like, you know, rigorous processes. So what did we do there? We started the interviewing, like, you know, whoever we thought the potential customer is, you know, like, so first week we started interviewing like um, the neurologist and um, like the primary care physicians. And we stopped after interviewing five neurologists because everyone thought, no, 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 like, uh, this is not our interest, you know, like, um, we treat people, we are not going to use your, use your risk tool. So full stop. So we didn't need that. And um, um, I would like to tell you that it's really difficult because um, to get their appointment, you know, like you guys are very busy and you wanted to, when you're in the clinic, you really want to spend time with the like, you know, patient. So literally we had to spend thousand hours, more than thousand hours, I would, I would say. Uh, the other best place to meet with that, you know, like professionals is the conferences. You can see like, um, I went, I especially I went to three conferences and uh, one of uh, my teammate went to another conference. Um, so in-person telephone, in-person is the best. Um, usually typically two-person like um, where um, uh, like um, should be, that's what the recommendation, like one person should be in like asking question, listen, another person should be taking like uh, take home messages and like uh, what, uh, you know, like, uh, provider is really telling um, in terms of their like um, current practice, their ecosystem, you know, like, um, and um, uh, what they feel about this patient group, you know, like, um, and how they are really dealing with this uh, stroke risk patients. Um, so I heard, um, I heard stories, you know, like when, I, like I was telling, I was like doing the interviews one of the optometrists was telling me a great story, you know, like um, it was really touchy. So she was telling me that she was looking into the eye and she saw a blob, like, you know, huge blob in one of the individuals, you know, like uh, uh, blood vessels. And she, immediately she advised the patient to um, see uh, the, so to see his doctor, like a physician but I think uh, it was not really taken very seriously by the patient. And that patient died um, after like, you know, a couple of months, like she was following up, so that patient died. Um, so this story is like, you know, like is really like putting huge impact um, why, why we really select this optometrist and they thought they will be adding a good value. And this tool will be also um, giving them the, you know, like um, authority to help their patient, uh, not to mention about the revenue, of course. So you can see there are different, like, you know, uh, spectrum of um, the groups like whom we interviewed, like all, all different groups to really understand the ecosystem and from, like, say, the concept um, to really getting a business model like uh, we did. Um, all these interviews, all these groups, um, like interviews. Initially, uh, as you could, uh, as you saw that the customer segment was really broad, you know, like neurologist, cardiologist, you know, 
So eventually, like we had to remove them, you know, like because um, uh, after this first, you know, like um, first two weeks, we found out that no, they should not be our like you know uh, customers. And uh, in terms of the partnership, we never thought that camera companies like would be um, the partner, you know, like uh, with us. But look like they are really, you know, like um, interested to add this type of, you know, like um, tool um, in their, like uh, plug, plug this in their like cameras. Um, we also define the like regulatory pathway, like how it should be. Um, and um, we like based on our interviews with the customers, um, if there is no upfront cost, uh, that means that uh, the providers are happy with that 50-50 like revenue split, you know. Of course, like this may be like, you know, um, modified, uh, but this could be one of the potential, maybe a small fraction can change, yeah. So with no upfront cost, software as a service model would be the best, you know, like um, value um, to the, you know, like ecosystem um, of the primary care and optimized where we ended up really at the end. Um, so the securing the IP and uh, selling direct to customers, like those information are like coming out, like after the interviews with different providers and um, different potential like um, partners. So if you can see like from five different groups of providers, we ended up with the optometrist and family physicians. And we had to remove these um, um, partners like um, this would be like trading. You are really like make some deals like um, when both parties have some interest. Um, that means like this is what we call partners. So we had to remove all these like first thoughts, you know, like uh, this near guy near or Wake Forest or Wisconsin like, and then we had to add, add those like other companies. Yeah. So now you can see like, um, how the CAN bus is looking like. So you can see that customer segment is, um, uh, is not full. And um, you can see the value proposition, like we are really adding a um, tool for like screening and predicting tool uh, with the retinal image, uh, which can be used by any of the healthcare um, providers. And um, we don't need a specialist like, you know, to use this tool and we can get an automatic report. So this is the value we are proposing um, into their ecosystem. So the key activities should be the clinical testing. Um, it's the follow-up, right? We have the tool, now what next? So the clinical text, test, um, testing, like um, uh, securing the IP, you know, like the FDA, the data sets, like um, the internal, external perspective, like trials. So those are the key activities which is needed to go to the market, like before going to the market. And of course, like we determine the like um, key partners. So um, at the end of the like, you know, um, uh, uh, ICO program, like we ended up this, um, the regulatory pathway, um, intellectual property, and um, final phase two, which we are now you know, like preparing um, uh, for the prospective trial main. 
Um, I think um, that's all like uh, from me. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you so much, Loudon. That was very inspiring. Thank you so much for your support, for making the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, I'd now like to introduce uh, Faris Gawi. So Faris, uh, CEO of uh, Vitalize Health, a fast-growing health tech uh, healthcare company that's advancing value-based care for Medicare patients in 14 states. Combining an ACO with a virtual care delivery system, this data-driven approach is helping hundreds of primary care physicians improve health outcomes and lower total costs. A self-proclaimed natural optimist, Ferris is deeply passionate about the promise of value-based medicine and the aligning of economics between payers, providers, patients, and the businesses that enable a highly efficient healthcare delivery system. With civil engineering and finance degrees combined with an MBA from Columbia Business School, Ferris is detail-driven and strives to build finely tuned solutions that are highly scalable. Ferris, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for that introduction. Whoever wrote that really is a great writer. <laughs> no, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody. Again, I want to reiterate, you know, appreciate everybody's work during this past year and, and you guys all being sort of at the, at the front line here. Um, I'm, I'm here today to share just my, you know, our, our story as a team, my, 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 my view of healthcare, how we came around uh, to building Vitalize. Uh, it's about six years old, six and a half years old. Uh, we started in New York City and, and happy to be in, in multiple markets now. And, um, you know, I'll try to keep this uh, pretty high level and pretty quick and, and you know, have, uh, you know, hope to hear from some of you towards the end. I'll share my email and we have a program to partner with innovators uh, such as people in this room. And so, you know, my hope would be for anybody interested to dive in and talk some more that uh, we take it offline another day. Uh, so without further ado, high level, um, Vitalize is focused on senior patients. So Medicare, so everybody 65 and above, and we take a primary care, a data-driven primary care approach to improving health outcomes and reducing healthcare costs. So this is not sort of a point solution at a particular problem, but sort of an overall kind of population health management uh, solution to try to improve outcomes and lower costs for large populations um, by implementing different uh, point solutions. Um, so um, this is the team. This is, you know, it's, it's a, we're, we're now uh, approaching uh, 50 uh, employees, but uh, this is kind of senior leadership myself and my co-founder next to me, Amir Elnajar, he's an internal medicine physician, finished his residency out of Philadelphia. And I have him to blame for this uh, whole endeavor. He pulled me in six years ago. I was doing my MBA at Columbia, and he got me into this. So, um, but you know, without without spending too much time on the team here, so Vitalize, you know, our goal is to essentially accelerate the world's transition to value-based care by taking care of the doctors who take care of us, right? And this is broad. You know, I'll get into some of the details here to explain what that means and what value-based care is. But essentially, it's achieving the goal of value-based care, which we've become extremely passionate about by focusing on primary care physicians and how they can play a central role in this, but really taking care of them, right? Taking care of not just sort of point solutions, but their overall life, right? Improving their practice, improving their work-life balance and making sure that they're well compensated for their time, providing technology, staff, everything that's needed to kind of get them going and put them sort of back in the driver's seat, so to speak. So we've been fortunate enough in the right time, right place, things are working out, big, big pain, pain point in the industry. So we're now in 14 markets. 
partnered with about 450 primary care providers managing 65,000 Medicare patients. So we only focus on those patients of them. They're still dealing with younger patients, commercial patients. This is our focus. And under the value-based care environment, we're responsible for about $500 million a year in Medicare budget. So every time we grow the population that we're responsible for, the number, the dollars grow accordingly. And that's the budget that we're responsible for trying to optimize and fund better outcomes and lower the cost. So our journey took many turns to get to this point uh, without boring you with too many details. You know, suffice to say, we started by building our own practice in New York City. And we're actually focused on younger adults for a few months before we realized sort of the opportunity and the need with the Medicare market. So my physician friend said, we, we can build a better care delivery system, focus on seniors, meeting seniors where they are, right? Uh, meeting them at home, meeting, meeting them, uh, leveraging telemedicine. You know, this was before telemedicine was cool. This is 2014. And, and really kind of meeting them 24-7 and being available for them outside of the confines of the brick and mortar practice, right? Uh, the idea was to expand primary care. So we went from doing just urgent care things to doing full-blown primary care for these patients. And very importantly, in 2018, we ventured into value-based care, meaning we stopped our revenue model, stopped being about providing more services and getting paid for each service, but getting rewarded for lowering costs and improving outcomes, if that, if that makes sense. Um, so, um, and then, oops, too quick here. Um, we started by joining an ACO initially in 2018. It was a New York-based ACO. We were successful. We outperformed that ACO. And because of a lot of the things that we were doing, we decided to launch our own ACO that is physician-led that will be taking care of a patient population. For those of you that don't know, an ACO is an accountable care organization. It's essentially a group of physicians and health providers that come together to start becoming responsible for the overall cost and quality over a patient population. ACOs can be based on a hospital. You know, Mont Montefiore is one of the best ACOs in the country, or it can be physician-led, outpatient-led, uh, and, and driven that way without sort of a, a hospital focus. We're, we're on the latter side. So we learned a lot doing this. One of the core fundamentals of, of what, we, what we're building on is this transition from doctors being paid for volume to being paid for value, right? So the typical interaction is patients walk into the clinic, doctors see them, they, there's a, something called a CPT code, rather, they're billing a five-digit code that then goes to the insurance, the insurance pays based on the service done, right? We call it sick care, right? The sicker the patients, the more they come in, the more the doctors are getting paid, right? This new model which interestingly enough started under the Obama administration was doubled down on under the Trump administration. So one of the very few things, if any, I don't know anything else that both parties believe in, right, that, that agree on, but uh, there's been a, a really an expansion in this, in, this, uh, in this model and it's been uh, ongoing for, for, for a while now, right? Within value-based care, there's different components, different ways to go about it. I'm not gonna get too much into it, but you, know, you may hear, hear of terms called like Medicare Advantage, you know, that's sort of a privatized Medicare plan. We're focused on the accountable care organization side. We are a, think of it as like a bottom-up approach to, uh, to value-based care, where it's from the primary care physicians kind of upward. Our goal is really three things, right? Improve health outcomes, increase the revenue for physicians, primary care physicians, and reduce the total cost, right? And I'll get into how, that, how, that, how you can do these two things at the same time. 
a little bit later. Everything is data-driven, right? So we leverage claims data, lab data, behavioral health data, market, uh, and new data that we generate. All of it goes into you know, analytics that then generate recommendations and things to do, right? So given everything we know, here are the things that are gonna help improve outcomes and cut costs. And then our company's focused on putting these uh, insights to work, right? By getting everybody, it's like herding sheep. It's like getting everybody aligned, getting everybody to do the things that need to happen. And, and that's how you get the results. To give you an example, just why this is important is if you look at these two individuals, right? Both of them have great haircuts. Both of them are 67. Both of them live in 10002, right? Both of them are the same net worth. But if you look all the way on the right, they have completely different health outcomes, right? You know, expenses and outcomes. And if you shed, get into the details and understand sort of the social determinants of health and what else is going on there, you start to get some insights as to why these patients are different, right? This is just one example. The point is that we're gonna look for anything we can find to identify the reasons and get to the core of the problem. And a lot of times that's kind of working at the primary care level, working at the patient level, the family, changing behaviors, changing uh, mindsets about care. It's working, right? So we are, we our patients get three times more uh, time with primary care than, than the industry. Currently cutting costs by about $1,000 per patient per year, which comes out to about 10%. And 2019, we got a 100% quality score from Medicare, right? We hope, we hope to replicate that this year. One thing I wanna, you know, without spending too much time, but this, this part on the left here is my favorite part of this presentation, favorite part of it, because it summarizes in my mind, everything there is to know about healthcare dollars and what we do. On the left-hand side is how healthcare dollars are spent today. So you got $10,000 per Medicare patient. Primary care makes up only 5% of total spend. What we do is we expand primary care to be about 15% of total spend. And as a result, the total cost comes down. And then our business model is to make money on both the increase in primary care and the reduction in total cost and share that with the primary care physicians who are driving this behavior and enabling this all to happen. And by the way, this, it's worth mentioning, this is happening. This thing on the left is happening with or without Vitalize. This is kind of a given. It's just the healthcare industry is so big and complicated and complex, I should say. I recently learned the difference. Complex in that there are clear answers to this. It's just that you, there's a lot of moving parts. And so we're enabling all of that to happen. Big market, right? This is like a, this is, our market is 40% of Medicare's budget, right? This is growing uh, every day, right? Interesting point. This $10,000, 10,000 people turn 65 and join the Medicare program every single day, right? So something, something to think about, right? $100 million of Medicare budget every single day. It's a new market, right? So we aim to be the leaders in transitioning primary care practices into this new model of care, value-based primary care. There are different levels with Medicare. So if you don't take downside risk, you get less of the savings. They want to hold that carrot up to say, if you're only a basic AC, you only get 40% of the savings. If you go to total risk, you take all risk on the expenses, you get 100% of the savings. But again, this is just details on how these different programs, right? What I really would like to focus on and, and close with is that Vitalized Labs is, a, is an initiative that we've recently launched that is looking to partner with innovators to help them deploy their solutions onto our patient population to try out and prove how these solutions can help improve outcomes and cut costs. 
instead of knocking on the doors of health plans and health, large health systems, it may take 18 months or more to get your product proved out. We're welcoming folks to come in and within weeks have the products deployed and piloted before it can go on to large institutions as well to deploy, right? So if you think that your product can improve outcomes for any, any condition out there, and if you think it can and or it can lower costs, we'd love to hear from you. You'd be in good company. We've already done this with several companies that have gone out and, and done much bigger and better things. And we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you if you can email me uh, take this my email down it would be great if you just put in the subject something like you know money for your innovation something just so i know uh but would love to hear from you and would love to put you in front of our clinical team to um you know present present your solution but that's all for me thank you everyone great thank you so much Faris. really appreciate it thanks for your amazing work thank you <laughs>